Well, hello, welcome to episode number 230 of the Apple Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. Thanks, everybody, for shopping on Amazon and supporting the show. You can do the same thing by going to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash US Amazon. You can do it the old-fashioned way by going to applelog.ca and click on those banners located on the right side, locate your country, and every time you shop on Amazon, use those book links to shop and support the show. And it costs you no extra money. Thanks to everybody for supporting me on Patreon. You can do the same thing by going to patreon.com slash apolog. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and apolog is spelled A-P-O-L-O-G-U-E. Pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel at any time. You can buy a t-shirt by going to apolog.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars, please. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Pod And follow me on Twitter, at SimonHead666. Today on the show, I have Spencer from a band called Give You Nothing. They've just put a new record out on Snubbed Records. And they're from Santa Cruz. Um, their new record is called Give You Nothing. Band's called Give You Nothing. Album's called Give You Nothing. Yeah, Snub Records from a whole bunch of bands out of Santa Cruz. And I have to tell you, I've been to Santa Cruz and it's probably one of the nicest towns in California, if not America. It's always a 71 degrees and it's always sunny and people are always nice. And um, yeah, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to play one song. The song's called Reflections. It's on a new album, Give You Nothing, from the band Give You Nothing. Here it is. Between the 
Reflections from the band Give You Nothing, from the album Give You Nothing, which is on Snubbed Records, and you can go find them where all good music is sold. So here we go. This is Spencer from Give You Nothing on the Apple App Podcast. Yeah, the weather is always amazing in Santa Cruz. I've been there a few times, not just with uh, with Good Riddance, but I was there with other bands, and um, and it's just phenomenal there. And I, I don't understand. It's a surf town, right? That's its that's its main thing. Yeah, pretty much surfing, skateboarding. You know, that's what most people know it for. Or the Lost Boys. <laughs> yeah, that's the other one we get when people come to town. <laughs> What's that club? The small club uh, that's there. I forget what it's called now. Well, we've had a couple because, like, the bigger clubs, the Catalyst, that's kind of like the famous club there. But we've had a couple other, like Palookaville, a lot of those bands used to play at. And we have a Vets Hall that used to do a lot of shows. And um, we have this place. Well, now it's called the 418 Project, which does shows. And way back in the day, it used to be called Club Culture. And that's where, like, Black Flag and The Descendants and mm-hmm. Blast and all those bands used to play. Yeah, I think the <laughs> Catalyst, I was there a couple of times. I was there with some 41 and I think we were playing with Saves Today and Face to Face. Uh, I was at that show. No way. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was there. Yeah. It's cool... And that was uh, Newfound Glory, too, right? Newfound Glory. Yeah. Yeah. Before, yeah. before the scandal. Yeah, exactly. Way before. <laughs> <laughs> well, intermediate scandal, I guess. Yeah. But they, uh, yeah, yeah. That was a cool place. And there was a really, like, really, really tiny place I think we came to uh, when I, because I was tour manager for Sum 41, their first tour manager in the early 2000s. So, uh, I can't remember the name of the place. Uh, had a bunch of graffiti in the front. Um, it was very small, very very small. I'm trying to think of what place that would have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So give you nothing is a is a, is a is a newer band, but it's newer newer band with like guys have played around a lot, right? Yeah, pretty much. Um, we've been around for about three or so years now, give or take. Um, and all of us had been in other bands. Most of us knew each other through other bands if we hadn't even played together before. And uh, just none of us were playing in a band at the time. And uh, Tommy, our drummer, hit me up one day and was kind of like, yeah, I want to do more of a like skate punk band because we'd all, most of us had played in just kind of straight hardcore bands. But, the, you know, kind of play more of the sound we grew up listening to. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we kind of, uh, everybody assembled and yeah, started doing this band. It's cool being in a new band when you know how to play. <laughs> yeah, that is true. We kind of laugh. It's a doing a band as a grown-up is a lot different than when we were all teenagers. Yeah. Yeah, you just have a better capacity for first of all you're better at your instrument and second of all you have a better mental capacity to be able to be in a band and be with other people. Oh, you cut out. And it doesn't also hurt when you can have your own practice space and you're not is worried about all the, like the things that were such a big deal when you're a little kid, you know? Yeah. I shouldn't say a little. Yeah, like driving a van and you like get your own car and you have a place to live and yeah, yeah, that's it's always good to have a little security. And it's funny because you know punk rock's always been like, "Oh, I got to suffer for my art," but it's like, "No, dude, I I like having um my own bathroom and my own bed and I enjoy having like a little bit of comfort in life. It does help." Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, like I said, something as simple as having your own practice space where your equipment's set up and you don't need to go haul it in and out of a storage shed or wherever that's your spot. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what a difference that makes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So you guys, yeah. So are you are you planning on taking this outside of California? Yeah, that's our hope. Um, we're hoping uh, to do a run up through like the Pacific Northwest this summer. Uh, we definitely want to do a run through Canada. We've actually always like all my bands have always done really well, mostly Western Canada, but we've always had a great time up there, and we have a lot of friends up there. So mm-hmm. we're planning on doing that, and then I think in October, our record label's doing a fest. So we're going to go out and try to do some shows out there and trying to get to the UK probably early next year for our label over there. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting concept to try to to get to the other side of the Atlantic. And uh, it's I, it's good for punk rock. I mean, like Canada is OK, but in, in America is pretty good. But UK and Germany and, and Europe in general is just the place to go now. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's amazing the amount of feedback we've gotten from people from Germany, the UK, mm-hmm. for a place where we're so far away. It's almost amazing that they discover, you know, a band from Santa Cruz. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's true. I, but I mean, we're in a we're in the digital age now, man. Where you can, it's much easier than having them picking up a Maximum Rock and Roll and saying, "Hey, what's cool in here," and then going finding it and listening to it. Like, there's you've saved a lot of steps are saved with being in a band now, right? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Sometimes it hurts, sometimes it helps, you know, where things are so flooded. But, you know, I remember going into the record store and you just look for other CDs that were on the same label of a band you liked. Mm-hmm. It's amazing the amount of bands you used to find out that oh, yeah. way. And sometimes that backfired horribly. <laughs> and now you at least get to know before you buy the, what were they, $15 CDs back then? Yeah, yeah. What are you, are you, what's your thoughts on the whole streaming palooka? Honestly, I'm for it. I'm for getting the music out there for free to as many people who want it. I think it's a, I think it's a really amazing tool for people. I'm probably one of the few people that don't actually use Spotify. I'm kind of old school. I like curating my own stuff and kind of knowing what what's there. But I love it. Like I love the fact that bands can put out their music for free, and you're not stuck mm-hmm. buying these products before you get the chance to really listen to it. I know most bands would probably prefer to be getting the money coming in, but you know, I think just in terms of getting music out there, it's pretty unbeatable. Yeah, it was the whole like the whole download war too, with like with um, Napster and things like that. Is bands in in the, like bands that weren't Metallica were like, yeah, this is awesome, but bands that are Metallica are like, fuck that, that's horrible. Like we're getting robbed. <laughs> and I see both points of view, but but it does you definitely does it does allow someone to sort of sample who you are and then you can go out and play play music or or do events and things like that like there's other things happening now that didn't happen in the in in the early 2000s mid 2000s and that you can you can do stuff online and people will appreciate it like i'm i'm trying this new thing where you stream a live live show on on basically it's in my living room and i'm going to see how it goes tomorrow's the first day so it's like that's a whole new step in in the in the way of promoting your music right yeah i think that's really cool i mean i've seen uh, like bridge city sessions and a couple other places that do that similar idea and i think it's so cool because then you get to capture the band and more of their like live sound and kind of some of the energy of playing live and have a way to get that out there for people who you know are in other countries and can't get to see it i think that's pretty rad actually yeah and it's getting easier and easier like chumps like me can have a computer that takes video and audio and and stream it out and make it work. And it, it, I mean, like five years ago, that was sort of like, that was witchery to me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but we, I mean, things are slowly, like people are slowly, but surely 
staying in their living rooms. So therefore, it's easier to take the music to them. Like kind of what happened with mu- movies and stuff, right? Like, and, and, but what happened with movies is people like, ah, we like to go to movie theaters now. Like it's just a weird thing how it all came around where people realized like, yeah, I could stay in my living room and watch a movie all night. But then again, I get to go out and eat popcorn and be with other people and have the experience. So somewhere in the middle there, there's, there's that, there's that um, it will join. It'll, it'll become people can understand like or, or get it, I guess. I don't know. Get it? That's the wrong word. You know, it makes sense to me. I mean, like I worked for years in a video store, like almost 10 years, even when we're shocked when they'd hear that people still came to a store, but people still like that human element of things, you know, mm-hmm. the tangible being able to talk to somebody. I think it's kind of the same thing with all of that, like being able to show more than just, you know, listening to a track streaming, but actually getting to like see and hear more interactions with people. I think it just adds a little more of the, the human element to it. Yeah, yeah. Like getting to know a band as people to me has always been as important, even though I probably will never meet some of them. You know what I mean? Like just knowing them and understanding them as people and getting a real feeling for who they are as people makes the music easier to digest, if you know what I'm saying, right? Like it's. it's, Oh, absolutely. You know, like if you really like a bunch of dudes in a band you tend to like their music and and that's that's sort of it all kind of goes the other way like if you really like their music and you meet them and they're assholes and you're like yeah maybe not maybe not my thing i've had both of those experiences a lot i've been booking shows here since late 90s and it's amazing how many bands once i met them and dealt with them i pretty much never listened to again (laughs) how quickly you can be soured off in one or two nights and the other times of bands that you grow to love because, you know, you see them and get to know them, or sometimes they just have a really bad recording. Mm-hmm. My old band toured with this band, and they spent an ungodly amount of money going to a big, high-name studio, and their record was so bad. It, like, it was, I, I felt bad for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I think they spent like fifteen grand on their record, and it was almost unlistenable. And they were a great band, so it's just, you know, I think they, they got the big budget from a bigger label, and yeah spent their money in not a great way i guess <laughs> yeah that's 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 pretty tragic i mean it, yeah the the about recording and and if a, if an album feels good then it's it's generally for me it's like oh it just needs to feel like it's being played by people and whatever's being said needs to mean something and uh, you know and i it's never always been like that. You know, as you get older, you kind of start realizing like, hey, you know, whatever that message is may, might either be more important or less important. You know what I mean? And I'm more of like, oh, I like listening to lyrics now. But before I was sort of like, yeah, it feels good. That's, that's all that matters. You know, where, where are you on that? You know, maybe just because I've always been a singer and don't have much of the musical side of it, but the lyrics were always very important to me. I mean, the sound and feel, obviously, but, you know, some of the stuff where it's just so stupid. <laughs> like it's really hard for me to get into that especially you know the, the older you get the more sometimes you're just like i can't believe this gets out there <laughs> i feel like that in pop music right now or yeah. hip-hop and you listen to new hip-hop and it's one line repeated for four minutes yeah i i just can't handle it it makes my brain hurt well you do know like the society is getting dumber we are getting dumber as people <laughs> like like we are uh it, it, i keep i keep bringing this movie back but every time i i mention idiocracy the mike judge movie mm-hmm. uh, it, it's and that movie came out what like almost 20 years ago and it's like we are turning into that movie we are turning into dumb creatures and what's happening because technology is making people supposed to be making people smarter but here we are we're dumber it's it's weird i don't get it 
it's almost like a it's amazing how much it is like i just saw the controversy over the new netflix show where they're saying it's just people basically getting tortured Mm. and that's like you know to see how far they can go without flinching and all it made me think about was that movie (laughs) like we're literally just watching people get messed with to see how they react yeah it's i mean it's literally almost like something out of that movie yeah, and, and you know, your phone makes you smarter because if someone brings up some bogus um, statement, you can go to your phone and go, no, no, you're full of shit. You don't, you're not, no, you don't know what you're talking about. The phone tells me you're wrong. But, uh, but how you maintain that knowledge, I mean, it's, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's weird. It's, it's tough to go back to what it was, but a lot of people do sort of long for how it was in the day. But I do remember driving around parts of like the USA and Europe without a GPS and going, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I am. I, I don't know where I'm, how I'm going to find where I'm supposed to go. And I got to be somewhere in 20 minutes. And it's, it's, you know, and here we are now where you could like, oh, I just, hey, phone, take me to this house or take me to this. You don't even need to mention the address. You go, take me to this venue. And it knows. And it's, you know, that, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, it's crazy to think about when my old bands were touring and you would be, you'd have no idea. You'd have to actually sit and look at a map or, you know, at some points we could go to a place and print out the map quest directions on a piece of paper and hope they were right. They were never and right. Even that, <laughs> and even that was like, A, it was never right. And then B, I mean, like that was still amazing to us of that working. Yeah. But I, but I think it goes to your point of like, I can still navigate to like every venue in the Bay Area because we had to know how to get there. Yeah. without directions yeah. so people laugh and i can still navigate through san francisco not to get anywhere else but i can tell you how to get to every venue there <laughs> yeah i uh i did a lot of touring with snfu uh in in my 20s i was their sound guy and brent balke is has a compass for a brain and we were like in sydney and we're going to go see a movie and he found got directions just from the hotel people and drove us there not only there but on the wrong side of the road and got us to this place without a flinch and that's amazing it was amazing like and he's done it before and i'm like that's pretty cool and he goes yeah he does it all the time he just seems to understand which way north is and and where i'm from we have a lake to our south so i can always determine like i kind of know where south is but when i'm in europe and you're driving around in circles in those those towns i have no idea where anything is and it feels so inadequate when it comes to like n- not knowing where I am, especially when I've been there before, you know, like I should figure this out. I was here like six months ago. Why can't I find this place anymore? And, uh, and with your map quest things, we did that once in Europe and we, every time it was wrong, it would like, you'd just be one little thing wrong in it that would get you completely lost. And it'd be worse than if you just try to sniff your way through. And we had it once we're driving in and we're like getting there. And we're like, we're going to make it. And we could see the club. And then the road was closed. So we're like, no! So, we had to, <laughs> so I think we make a right and we make a left and a left and we got lost again. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um, so you're going you're gonna to come to Canada. Is that, you're going to come to Toronto? Is there, is there any? We definitely are hoping to. That's definitely our plan probably. Probably not towards this summer, but definitely early next year and spring, we're going to try to really yeah. hit that area, but maybe earlier, just depending, but we don't want to be stuck doing the winter drives through some of Canada right now. It's, that can be a little rough. Yeah. You should come to Putza Fest and do that thing in Montreal. We really, are, yeah, that's one of our real goals this year is to try to get on that. Our, our buddies in the band Daggermouth were telling us like, you guys have to go play that. Yeah. 
So we're really going to try to make that a priority next year to see if we can wrangle ourselves onto that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, there's a guy, Matt, that we know who who is actually, I don't know if you heard of the Montebello Rock Festival that's sort of in, yeah. in Quebec. He was the head of um, like hospitality and now he's part owner in the, in that festival and just a super sweet guy. He's the guy. He's also, I think he's head of hospitality for punk rock bowling. So, uh, oh, very cool. so if you ever run into him, just tell him I say hi. Cause he's, yeah, he was a, he's a sweet guy. Uh, and, and just like he, he manages some bands out of Toronto now, um, a band called the anti Queens and he's, he's a good solid dude and he's part owner and he, he gets to have a say. So he's the guy you need to hit up. No, that's the guy we need to track down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll look for him at punk rock bowling. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Toronto. I actually, it's funny you were mentioning Sam. I am in your, uh, in your bio um i love that band always have and uh, we're gonna go see them they're actually playing pootsie fest but they're playing in toronto in like three days so uh oh that's awesome i got to see them got about six months ago now it's the first time i'd seen them in probably about eight nine years mm -hmm. they're just they're still so great those songs are probably one of the most underrated bands in the bay area i think because those songs are timeless to me yeah, like I was listening to I uh, listening to Billy today, and I was like, "This record is so good," and it's a shame, man, because they were on Atlantic Records for what one re one record, and I can't even hear that record. It's not even played anymore. It's not even on iTunes. You got to go find the CD somewhere and play it, and and it's it's impossible to find. But they, yeah, man, like it's just such a drag because they wrote such great songs and they were way ahead of their time. And then, and then when it came time to sort of have the big record, the timing just was weird. And that's sort of the music business to a T, right? It's sort of like, just oh, ab absolutely. I mean, the thing that's crazy with them is, you know, one of the best records they recorded that you are freaking me out. They recorded it and released it. And I think it was the month within like weeks of the record coming out, the entire record label closed. <laughs> so it basically immediately went out of print, no push behind it. You know, and it's like, it's sad when you listen to that record and how great it is, but it never got the chance for people to hear it. Cause yeah. you know, the, and the mate, it's different in the independent world. People will track down and find things, but yeah. if you're on a major label and they bury you, you're buried. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, it's so hard to gain any traction. Cause again, back then you don't get the thing of you look and you're like, Oh, this record's on NRA. I like this. Yeah. You know, so you're on some major label imprint and they go away and you're just gone. Yeah. Yeah, and even Astray, I love that that record. And they just kept they put like three great records out in a row, and you're like, this is it. This is the best that I can hear from this band with production, with playing. And then they came they, they came to Toronto because they didn't really come east much because just didn't. They would sort of stop at around Winnipeg, you know what I mean? But they'd never really make yeah. it to Toronto much. And uh, when I I moved out west, and that's where I kind of found them, or they were introduced to me, and. Um, and then I tried to bring it back to Toronto, and they were opening for Bad Religion in Toronto, this big, big giant place. And they went and played like a, a small venue, and there was nobody there. And I felt part of me felt like, oh, this is awesome, but part of me felt such sadness because it's like nobody, you know what I mean? Nobody's heard of this this band that rules so much, you know? And yeah, yeah, I feel like that now, and especially that style of music. I feel like there's a lot of bands that are really getting popular now. That kind of sound that probably don't even know that this is the band that the bands they're ripping off were ripping off, you know? It's, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it was like the interesting thing where I, I heard a thing where Bob mold was talking about that of basically 
Husker Du creates this sound that then, you know, kind of turns into like the grunge alt rock movement as Husker Du breaks up. And then Sugar kind of rides the coattails of the wave as they start. And it's kind of interesting of like, you know, bands that were inspired by his band are now bringing his new band out. It was a, I forget where I I saw the interview, but it was just a really interesting thing of thinking about that concept of two, three generations, not even knowing what started it. Yeah. Yeah. There's I guys, I work with a lot of people that are younger than me and um, people are like, uh, there's a band up here called Alexis on fire. I don't know if you've heard of them, Mm -hmm. but yeah, but I go, I listen to the, like I, there we're listening to, and I'm top, we're talking about this band. I go, have you ever heard of the refused? They're like, no. So I play new noise to them and I go, yeah, this is what influenced that. And they're like, oh my God, we're discovering new music. But it's music that came out in the late 90s. Like, it's just really crazy that bands who were influenced by bands like Refused and, yeah, Huskadoo and Sugar. Like, that Copper Blue album is fucking phenomenal. I don't know how successful that was in America, but Canada, I think, was quite, quite huge. It was really big down here, too. Yeah, I mean... That that's what was kind of amazing is it's like infinitely more successful than his band that influenced all of it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just amazing how that always works in music. Yeah, that's because the drummer didn't have a rack tom. That's my that's always my. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did a tour once where he didn't have an even drum, like just had a kick and a snare and a hi hat and maybe a crash. I think he just wow. never hit toms. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was my that was a dream back then. It was like I'm going to start a band that was only has. There's rules, you know. You can't have a five-string bass, and you can't have more than four drums. But uh, then three-piece is sort of like the power move, right? Like uh, when Rage Against Machine, I was like, "That's the coolest-looking drum kit ever," because he had like <laughs> two cowbells and a floor tom. I'm like, "Ah, that's so cool, so cool." So I think uh, that when I see the Hives now, the drummer from the Hives is like that too. I think he had like three or four drums. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like he could play with so much swagger because he was only hitting those few drums. Yeah. Yeah, I always liked the drummers that didn't have a crash, but they used their ride to crash. Like, that was like that sort of thing where they just hit it harder. There's so much control <laughs> where they could kind of yeah. hit it on top or hit it on the side. But yeah, that's I always appreciated less than more. Like I was a house sound guy at a, at a club just south of here in this town called Oshawa. And uh, this guy showed up with like this massive drum kit. And I was like, what are you going to do with this? And he goes, well, I'm, I'm going to play him. I said, well, what you got to do is hit everything twice per song. I'm going to start taking stuff away. And he's like <laughs> hitting cymbals and, psh, 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 and he's trying. I'm like, Hey, you haven't hit that rack, Tom. And he's like, well, don't, don't, don't. You know, so yeah, the whole show he's like trying to keep his, he's overplaying to try and keep his kit on. <laughs> and I did, I went and grabbed some, you haven't hit that twice. And took his little splash away or something. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Santa Cruz is an amazing town because it, it, you still don't have a major highway going into it, right? Like, is there, is there still smaller highways going in? Yeah, it's still smaller. Like you have 17, the one that comes over the mountains. That's just like treacherous, or you can take one that kind of runs all along the coast, but mm. neither one of those, I mean, while like one's a major road, obviously, but it's not like a major thoroughfare, like the five or, yeah. you know, those big roads that run all up and down through California where, you know, we're kind of isolated. we got the beach on one side and mountains on the other. So yeah. and that's, we get to keep our little, that's the magic. Here. Yeah. That's the magic of that, of that town is that it's hard to get to. And when you're there, it's, it's hard to leave in, and, and the weather is unbelievable. Like I, I did some touring with Good Riddance in the early 2000s, and I was really considering, like, we should just, my wife and I, like, let's move here. Like, this place is paradise. I couldn't believe how beautiful the weather was, and and, and in the summer in Canada, it's super humid and shitty, and, 
And in the winter, it's super humid and cold. And we have such a variant uh, degree of, of, of heat and cold that it's, you just don't get, it's seasons, you know what I mean? It's like, it must be weird yeah. living in a town that has no real seasons, but you know, hey, it's Christmas time, let's go surfing. Oh yeah, no, there's times when Christmas has been like bright, sunny and 70 degrees. I mean, the worst we get, like, we freak out when it rains for a month. <laughs> that's that's bad weather for us here, you know? Yeah. We, yeah. we pay the price for it, but... I mean, we don't get the humidity. We don't get the brutal heat. Yeah. We're just super lucky. Yeah. And it's a definite mentality. Like when I was there, I remember it was more community based. And remind me, because I did, I moved to Winnipeg, which is also kind of an insulated town, city of life of sort, that everybody did. The scene seemed a lot more um, gluey. You know, there wasn't any real, you know, I guess if you're good riddance, everybody's sort of your buddy, you know, because you kind of knew everybody and you know everybody. But when we came home, we had like lunch or something and there was like 30 people at lunch. And I'm like, that's pretty rare, pretty rare thing. Yeah, that's one of the things, you know, with the especially the punk scene in Santa Cruz is that it's always been really strong. And it's, you know, it's generations of people that are still around. I think it's like one of the most amazing things of going to shows and you know, all the good rinse guys are there. Me and all my friends are there. The people, the younger than us, and now the really young kids. And you see all of those kids that still come to shows. Mm-hmm. You know, people are sitting there like you walk around our downtown area and you're bound to run into people, you know. And it's, you know, we're, we're not a super big town, so it always has stayed kind of tight-knit. And, you know, I think just being lucky that we've had such a cool history of, you know, punk rock and other just, you know, other awesome bands from here. It's always been such a musical town for such a small place mm-hmm. that, you know, we're spoiled having all the bands that always came through here. Yeah. And that's, is that partially geographic or is that partially just being close to water? Like what, 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 how do you, how do you, cause that's pretty rare. I mean, like scenes, you know, I've been all everywhere. I mean, there's scenes that are strong and scenes that are just completely horrible, but Santa Cruz always has that sort of that gel. Is it like, is it, it must be the weather. I don't know. Is the water? Well, I, th- I think it's the weather. And I think it's also, you know, it's a little out of necessity. The people who really wanted shows, like we had to book shows mm-hmm. because, you know, while we have big clubs for the bigger acts, but, you know, through the nineties and early two thousands, pretty much all of the shows were at halls. They were put on by promoters. You know, we had like numbskull productions and they ran a ton of stuff through. There's a group called gray zone, you know, my friends put on shows through the guys who did Bane shows and now they're hard time shows. Like mm-hmm. we've always had people here who had that real DIY ethic of like putting on shows and building that sense of community. Cause ultimately we are the ones who are losing money when, you know, if a show ever tanked and, you know, honestly, and I booked shows for, you know, really regularly for about 12 to 15 years. And I think I only ever lost money about three or four times. Because people like appreciated that and that, I don't know, I think it's something about like the the community of Santa Cruz of kind of that arts and supporting like the local businesses and, you know, kind of the local mentality. People just always were really supportive of it. And, you know, now uh, with different people taking over the Catalyst, they're a lot more welcoming to the local bands. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's amazing. There are times, you know, there'd be a hall show and it would be good riddance, lag wagon and afi like three bands that could pack clubs everywhere and they'd be playing a hall instead of the big clubs because that's just how the shows always here ran Mm -hmm. i mean like i said pretty much every big band 
we saw in these tiny, tiny places and these, you know, real DIY spaces. But I think that's also why they sustained. I think that's why Good Riddance will always, always pack shows here because, you know, kids grew up on it and they were the ones involved in bringing all the shows here. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And it's infectious. Like good scenes are always, they're tough to break, you know what I mean? Because it's, it starts mm-hmm. from a good place and it's, and it keeps going um, based on, it started in the right spot. Because, you know, obviously if you're in a larger town that has more promoters, then it turns more competitive. Like even the city of Toronto has whatever, three or three million people or something like that. And there's like two major promoters that do punk rock shows. But then there's like a, there's no real like street level promoters now that I know of. Just the clubs Mm -hmm. do them. And the clubs are like, well, we just need people to come in and drink beer. That's all we care about. And, but if you were a promoter doing it, then you'd care about like people being witness to like good music. Like we have a club in town called the bovine and the bovine is like a club that cares. And they brought a band in from France and you're like, wow, that's cool. You know what I mean? They flew all the way from France to play the bovine. That's pretty awesome. And, but I was telling everybody in Toronto, I'm like, you guys have to appreciate that. Like these guys have come across water, a body of water to play in this little shitty club. And, and it's tough to it's tough to foster that, you know. But if it's sort of inherent in like Santa Cruz or other places, even Winnipeg and smaller towns like that, it seems. Be- I don't know why. I can't explain why. I guess it's just saturation of everybody getting to see music all the time, rather than being an, an occurrence. Yeah, and I think you know, I think that's exactly it. And I think part of it too is you become invested in like you said earlier, you get to know people and you make the connections because when you're playing those kinds of shows and you meet these people, then they get in other bands and they tell other bands and you foster that environment of being a place people want to come to. Like people always wanted to play Santa Cruz because the shows were great. Mm -hmm. You know, like we'd get bands that would come do shows with us and play these small places without guarantees where, you know, the rest of their tour, they're getting these huge guarantees, but like, we know you're going to take care of us. The show's going to be awesome. Don't worry about a guarantee. I mean, most of the stuff we did were on door deals because we built those relationships. And so it's kind of funny as the bands got bigger and bigger, you know, them having to argue with their booking agents and tour managers to tell them like, no, we're not getting a thousand dollars for the show. We're going to get whatever they can give us. We're going to go hang out. And I mean, I think, that's the sort of thing that builds that community because you know the kids coming to the show see that too and if they could rather see the club see them play in the basement of a vets hall or go see them play at a club to you know 800 people it's that intimate experience that i think mm-hmm. you know that's what gets people coming back yeah no that's true that's very true and the you know it's it yeah i mean it's such a it's such a gentle balance to keep a scene healthy you know, it's, it's, and when you, and yeah, and when you, I've done a lot of tours and you go through in that town, like say like North, somewhere in North Florida or something like that, you're like, yeah, this is really bad. Like you guys all hate each other. You know what I mean? Or, or you'll go somewhere like, you know, DC where it was like, it's super positive and, and you know, it's weird. And is, there's a reason why I think why Americans kind of like to come to Canada because it feels like way different, you know, like the scenes are different. They're, they're, everybody's a little bit more mellow. I don't know. Do you, do you get it? You know what I mean? Oh, I, I totally do. I've told people the story before, like, uh, one of my old bands, probably some of the best shows we ever had were on Vancouver Island. Yeah. But you, but you go to a place where 
bands don't tour through there. Mm -hmm. It's not a regular touring stop. So when you go and when people see that you're coming from far away and you took the time to go play their town, I mean, I felt like those were always our best shows. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like amazing how nice and hospitable people were. You know, they were just so appreciative that, you know, it's one thing to come to Vancouver, but to get your van onto the ferry <laughs> and spend a whole day, get yourself trapped on an island for a night. And, yeah. you know, every time we went up there, it's like, I mean, we we're probably treated better there than almost anywhere we toured. Yeah. You know, you compare that with a place like L.A. where, you know, there's six, seven shows in one night. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, like it's all people just clubs trying to get people into drink. And it's, you know, it's just such a different place. So when you're in places you know, not saying everywhere in Canada is remote, obviously, but when you play some of those places that we played up there, it's, I just always thought it was really interesting, like how appreciative people were. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because it's a happening. It's not like I get to see this band all the time, or I get to see bands all the time. It's like, I keep, I tell this sort of like this, put this sort of thought together. And I thought, you remember when Led Zeppelin toured? You remember like if Zeppelin came to town? That was like, holy fuck, Led Zeppelin's coming to town. This is going to be the best night ever. Because they had this mystique and this sort of understanding that this is going to be an experience. It's not going to be like a show. It's going to be in a super cool experience. And that is sort of like myth sort of determined that how popular that band's going to be. And the same thing, the myth is perpetuated by how whatever the smaller the town is. Because like I used to play in a band, we played like Brandon, Manitoba, which is sort of like an hour and a half outside of Winnipeg and it was way smaller than Winnipeg, but you go and every show rocked. It was always awesome. And it was always just something weird happened or there'd be some weird type of thing. And, and it was like, that was the best part of it because it was people really wanted to have an experience, you know? And yeah, it's, and that's why smaller towns I think are better to put on shows, but they're also harder to sort of keep organized. And they also, they also yeah. fall apart faster. If something goes wrong is that they have more to lose. I'd say that's very true. You know, we just, we did shows over the weekend and we played in a, a little town called Santa Maria. Well, it has a ton of people, but I, I've never even heard of a show happening there, but there's a little bike co-op that started hosting shows and, uh, Luis Obispo originally, but, uh, the venue was having trouble getting noise complaints. So we moved it down there and it was kind of the same thing. It was just, it's amazing to see people where they're just having this like birth moment of that scene for people coming out and seeing bands play and they're all starting their bands and every local band was so killer and different. And it, you know, it kind of reminded me of how shows were 15, 16 years ago where there's a hardcore band, there's a punk band, there's a yeah. pop punk band. There's just kind of a throwback emo band. And it's, you know, there's like real true mixed bills and everybody was so stoked. You know, we, playing into an out-of-town place and having people who have never met you, never seen you be so stoked was amazing. And it's just, you know, in my head, I'm like, I hope that they can sustain that and build on it because mm -hmm. that'll be a special place. You know, you're about 40 minutes outside Santa Barbara. You're in that dead zone of California where you've toured. It's once you leave the Bay Area, you know, that's why a lot of bands play Santa Cruz because you play the Bay Area and you have L.A. and there's not much in between. Yeah. You, know, you have Bakersfield or Fresno and... You know, Santa Barbara hasn't had much for a while. So, you know, I'm hoping this is the birth of a really cool place for bands to go through. Yeah, yeah. There's one place in Santa Barbara that I think I was there with Sum 41. And I, I, I thought it was funny because they're like kids at the time. And I, 
So let's go stick our feet in the Pacific Ocean. That'll be fun. And they're like, why would we want to do that? I said, because then we can go to the Atlantic Ocean and stick our feet in that. Come on, let's go do something. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, kids, have enjoy yourself. Let's, let's make it fun. Uh, yeah, but we did this weird... Cl- it was in Santa Barbara because it was this, this weird, like... It was in a record store or something, but it was like this sort of weird, cliquey kind of weird record store. But yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and we did that drive, actually. I remember now, we drove down the one, which is just beautiful drive. Like, you know, but you don't get going to, you can't do it too fast, but it's like stopping at these weird little offshoots of like the sea, you know, throw shit in the water and stuff like that. Yeah, it was cool. It was, it was a fun, it was a fun drive. And, um, but we always the other thing I never did when I played on tour in the '90s. We never came to Santa Cruz because to get from like uh, Sacramento, like to you'd go you'd go f- uh, uh, San Francisco, Sacramento, and then just go straight down to L.A. because we didn't know that existed. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and that's I think that was why one of the reasons you know when we talk about how a town like ours exists, yeah. being that place. Like, I mean. We're only an hour outside of San Francisco or Oakland, but it's such a different market that you can play both. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing that you can have bands that'll shell out a show in San Francisco and Santa Cruz mm-hmm. being an hour apart because that's not an easy thing to do. But, you know, it's just a whole different little world down here. And, you know, we have in between us, we have San Jose with one of the biggest cities in the country. They don't have any venues. Like yeah. they have, I think, they have about two clubs. And it's, you know, it's kind of amazing that you have this major city. It's almost impossible to get DIY spots there. Like, they get shut down so fast. And then, I mean, there's literally, like, two nightclubs in the whole city that play music. It's just, I mean, it's amazing to think of what an untapped market that is. Yeah. That is weird. Yeah, because it, it's, yeah, all there is is the hockey team. That's all there is in San Jose. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. Never done a show in San Jose, but I drove through it. Um yeah, and and then San Francisco was funky too because it's a tough it's just, for a band that doesn't play a lot of American shows. It's tough to play larger cities like San Francisco. We always would get there and sort of find a place to play. It was like a, in the early '90s because all we had was Maximum Rock and Roll's "Book Your Own Fucking Life." That's all we had. Mm-hmm. So we would call people and say, "Hey, we're uh, going to be in your town in a week. Can we play your basement?" And we did a lot of basement shows. So and if, there's not a lot of basements in San Francisco, so it was really tough to play. But we always visit it because it was always an interesting, weird, crazy spot for skateboarding and stuff like that. Like had a lot of neat things going for it. I keep forgetting how close it is this actually to Santa Cruz. That's right. But it's yet that crazy road. There's that crazy road that sort of blocks off all the idiots. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to be dedicated to make that little trip over the hill. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, you know, I was going to play some music, but my, I just realized my computer that plays the music is doing something else so what i'm going to do is i'm going to put some music on after i don't like to do that because i like to actually play the song and listen to it and talk to the guys while i'm doing it but this time i apologize we'll have to put some music on and uh and and let people know about awesome record snubbed records right yes yeah, snubbed records in the u.s is doing it and then uh umlaut records in the uk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you guys do all like the facebook and the uh and the the instagrams and the twitter and all that necessary evil stuff. Yeah, you know, I don't even know if we have a Twitter, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, we have a Facebook out of necessity. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's amazing that it's hard to, to do anything in a band now. You have to have that presence. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, we have 
we have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram. Uh, we put all our music up on Bandcamp. Like that's always been important to us with both of our releases that we wanted to, you know, make sure we had control. We didn't want, you know, we wanted to always be able to make the music out there digitally mm-hmm. for free or for cheap. You know, our first record you can download for free. Um, you know, the, the new ones up there for pretty cheap. And, you know, we just want to make it available to everybody to hear. It's, I always kind of make the joke at shows that I'm the worst band businessman on earth. <laughs> like if it were up to me, I just give all of our music to everybody because, yeah, you know, I mean that that's where it is now. Like, you know, you'd rather just have people hear it and come to shows and have fun. That's true. That's true. And when you talk about Bandcamp, like that thing is an amazing, the day that Bandcamp, camp and itunes and spotify all sort of get along and start promoting each other is going to be a great day for all three parties because you know for Bandcamp it's so closed really because on if you're on a phone it's getting better you have it, it has a player and whatnot but if you want to have it as yours because that's the whole thing about usually about like collecting punk rock records is like it's yours like i i have it it's mine but Bandcamp yeah. kind of goes against a little bit about that where they'll, they'll give it to you but it's in a closed sort of ecosystem where you have a player, but it's not like you can sort of play it on iTunes and or, or play it on your whatever, if you're an Android player, play it on that sort of stuff. So, I mean, one day, man, one day it's going to happen. But, I mean, Bandcamp's amazing for independent music, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the best thing about Bandcamp is that people can download the record, and it's high-quality files. It's not compressed. Mm-hmm. You can download the WAV files, get you know everything with album art intact. Mm-hmm. You know, and for for like our first record, we self-released it in the States. We just wanted to, we wanted to really just do it ourselves. It's kind of the ethic I've always really ascribed to with it and have that ability to, you know, like I said, we made it and I mean, gave out so many of them and put the music out for free. And I really think that helped us gain some traction as a new band of, you know, you're not just selling a product that you're really actually out there just trying to get your music out there and, you know, like I said, with something like Bandcamp, like the amount of people that hit us up because they stumbled across our Bandcamp page or somebody recommended it. And to be able to like get for free or for a few dollars, get a full record in high quality is just, you know, I think it's incredible. And now with Spotify and how easy it is to get, you know, onto all of those services and have people to have it at their fingertips. It's, you know, it's changed a lot of how music works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, and and it, it is a different model now. It's it used to be a model where you sold a CD and you got your three bucks or something from it, but now you got to go out and play. You can't fake that too. Like you can't like f- fake a fake a great show. You just have to do a great show. So there's there's hope there, you know. So maybe what it will do is, you know, great bands will be great based on their playing merit and they're just being cool to hang out with rather than having an image and. I don't know. I do. Part of me kind of likes like when like the I don't know when bands come out and they have like freaky hairdos. I'm like, that's kind of cool, man. That's neat. <laughs> how does that person walk around? Like I was watching a, I was like I was watching the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction for Def Leppard, and like Phil Collins, oh, yeah. not, he's not wearing a shirt. And I'm like, how did that guy get from being like a guy, from, and then to being a guy not wearing a shirt? And then his bass player's got like a weird kind of dress looking thing, but he's got long flowing curly hair and i'm like that took a long time to get there you know that and i dig that i think that's funny (laughs) no i I, you know i love that whole thing i felt the same way watching on the induction too i just watched it last week and watching robert smith yeah and just like 
I mean, he just does not care. And it's amazing. Yeah. Like he goes out, he still sounds amazing, you know, but no attempt to, you know, keep up with his image or just like, Nope, I'm going to go out and be the same like weird Robert Smith. I've been forever. Yeah. You know, like let myself get older and get bigger and just not care. It's, I mean, I think it's amazing. And he, he, especially at that level of music. Oh, totally. And he is the nicest man in rock and roll. I don't know if you know that, but but the word out on him, because they've come through a few times to Toronto and uh, the crew are like super peppy and nice and friendly. And I thought, if you're touring with Robert Smith, you should be like kind of sad and down and smoking (laughs) cigarettes and being angry. But I say, so how is he as a as a boss? And he goes, he's amazing. He's a cool dude. He's fun to hang out with. And there's a very classic picture of him wearing a Toronto Maple Leaf shirt at Maple Leaf Gardens. And I'm like, that's pretty cool because it kind of is the antithesis of what his fans are, which are kind of sad people that smoke cigarettes and have pale faces. <laughs> and, and yeah, so I mean, that I love that, that he doesn't really take himself too seriously, but he still writes great songs. I mean, you know, it's it's tough to not get into it because it's like it has it stood the test of time right yeah yeah it's you know it's something that uh i heard actually i was listening to a a podcast and they were talking about the cure and they're saying like the great thing is like if you strip all the image and everything people take about them like they really just sneakily write amazing pop songs yeah their their image and what people think of when they think of the cure Mm -hmm. if you could separate that and just listen to like what amazing pop rock songs those are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a funny thing. Like, I bet you could play some of the songs and people wouldn't even guess yeah. that it's the cure, yeah. you know? Yeah. Do you find as you get older, you start appreciating stuff that you probably would hate when you're 20? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, I laugh about that all the time, that there's just this whole world of bands that, you know, I call them, even in punk rock, like you find like the old guy punk bands, I call them the bands that, you know, not to say everybody doesn't love, but it's amazing how many people all of a sudden they get into the, like their mid twenties or late twenties. And all of a sudden everybody loves Leatherface. <laughs> but they'd never, never taken the time to listen to them or you could have played them for them and they didn't get it. But it's just, you know, there's certain bands that just, I think, you know, the more exposure you are, maybe more life experience, you start to take something different from them. Yeah, that's true. You know, cause there's songs and records that I've heard from the early 80s that I, I know the inner 20-year-old me would be laughing at it, but the the 49-year-old this year in me is going, hey, you know what? It's still here. It's still doing stuff, and it's still making waves. So I appreciate that. And it's got it's got nothing really to do with the music, but it's got more to do with the ethic, you know, and what I feel and what I want. And, you know, and when you're 21, you're, everybody's stupid when you're 21. You know what I mean? Like, your brain's not even fully developed. Like, who are you to know? It's so funny now that, because we're both a little bit older, and I think I'm older than you, but maybe we're about the same age. But when you meet somebody who's 20, you're like, how ridiculous are you as a person? Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> You know, I, I I can't I can't I can't really I have once you get older you start getting more like the more get off my lawn sort of attitude, but like one instance is when I started I worked at a university and I started there when I was thirty four I started working there, and I met people who were twenty five who are just getting out of university. And I'm like, yeah, these these are well-developed, cool people. And every year I would work there, the person, the, the kids who were coming into their fourth year became more and more irritating. So <laughs> there was like a sliding scale of by the time I was 45, I was out of there. I'm like, I hate everybody here. I can't stand this place. This place is ridiculous. But... 
but there, nothing's really changed. You know what I mean? It's, but I have that. And that's, that's, that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, and that is so true. And if you think about it with music, I, you know, I laugh because when you think about, you know, I'll think about just like say the nineties and you think of some of these bands that just when they were coming out in the nineties, like you just think it's garbage, just as mm. garbage, you know, radio music. And man, I can't tell you how much I love some of those bands now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we kind of laugh because at our amusement park, we'll have these bands that come through every summer and it's, you know, Eddie money and blue oyster <laughs> cult. And, but now they've started being all the bands from the nineties. And it's like, I can't tell you how stoked I get when I'm like, Oh, cool. Soul Asylum's playing. Yeah. yeah. Or, the gin, or the gin blossoms are playing or, yeah. you know, like this year, living colors playing. Nice. And I'm like, they're just these bands, you know, I mean, living color obviously was, you know, they were amazing from the get go, but it's just kind of funny with some perspective and you can sit back and be like, these guys wrote great songs. Yeah. Like I would argue people to go and listen to that gin blossoms record. Yeah. I mean, that is an amazing, yeah. like they wrote really great stuff, but you know, at the time it just seemed so cheesy. Yeah. But, yeah. But yeah. now I'm like, oh, this is, this is great. Yeah. Like, Hey, jealousy is, is a really great pop song. And the other one, yeah. the other, what was the record they put? It was called congratulations. I'm sorry. Was that the name of the yes. record? You yeah, know that yeah. the name that, you know how they got the name of that, that record? Well, uh, they had a guitar player that wrote Hey Jealousy and all the, like the early Jim Blossom stuff, but he was a complete booze hound. Like he was an alcoholic. So they kicked him out of the band. It's really dark. They kicked him out of the band because he was too drunk. So then he ended up committing suicide. And so when they released their second record or the record that had like uh, the other the other hits, like uh, yeah, Hear It From You, you down was Follow on You Down, yeah. people would say, hey, congratulations, and I'm sorry about what happened and <laughs> that's how they got the name of that record yeah man. wow that's amazing yeah but then man they, that's a band too because they they went through like the same recording studio like that big, big star and stuff went through like they they definitely like were working with uh what's his name uh who recorded uh fuck i can't remember his name now uh but they were in this one studio sort of like uh, where big star recorded um but no they were just it, yeah, but I still don't give Good Charlotte a pass. I will not give them a pass. I'm sorry. That band can fuck no, up. It, and I think there's like the funniest thing that's happening is that while well, Punk Rock Bowling's happening in Vegas this year. Not, have you ever been? No, out no, I've never been. No. So, so it's this amazing experience of, you know, all the club shows and the fest are all within a couple blocks and it takes over the whole Old Town Vegas. But every year, because it's on Memorial Day weekend, they do these free outdoor concerts. So like when you're... It was cool. Like Joan Jett was there. Didn't see her because, you know, we're watching Rams of Fest. But this year, while Punk Rock Bowling's happening, Good Charlotte is playing one of those free shows. And I cannot imagine how unmercifully heckled they're going to get <laughs> playing for free on the street while there's so many people there for this fest that, you know, they just hate them. I, uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be incredible. Like, I kind of hope I get to just witness the train wreck that it becomes. I hope somebody takes video for that. Well, um, I, the reason I say that is because like those guys are like the, we're the most cultured thing, like picking up on the like picking up on the heels of what punk rock was in an industry that was already dying in the early two thousands. And you know, I worked for Sum Forty One, and many people would say turn in, turn to them and go, yeah, they're kind of the same thing. But when Fletcher likes bands like Sum Forty One because they're cool people, and uh, bands like, like Carrie King from Slayer, and all these bands sort of sort of bound together and go no they're cool kids and even i took mark belke on one tour as a guitar tech 
a punk rock legend to tune guitars for some 41 and he sees Derek skateboarding around and he goes that kid's the real deal I'm like that's coming from a guy like Mark that's that's a huge compliment you know and that's people recognize that in that band you know so when people start trying to com- compare like that power pop punk rock of some 41 to good Charlotte I I defiantly say no that is you're completely wrong and I toured with him for like a year and a half and Derek lost his clothes, and all he did, his clothes, his bags got not didn't get put in a van, got left on a sidewalk. He toured for a month wearing the same clothes, and I'm like, that's more punk rock than any than me. I'm like, fuck. No, that's it, and you know, and th- and that's the thing with a lot of those bands, and and when you're around it, you can tell, you can tell the people that are genuine and they really care, and you know, the people who really come from it. You know, like mm-hmm. I always use that example of Newfound Glory when people try to hate on that band, and it's like. You know, like my friends grew up with them. Yeah. They were out playing hardcore shows to nobody for years. They cut their teeth. They full, they tour full time. Mm-hmm. You see them at shows. You know, the, the Bay Area, you know, the, the big examples, AFI. Like, you know, yeah. I remember seeing them when I was 15, 16 years old, maybe even younger. And, you know, you see them get bigger and bigger and people try to talk shit on them because they get big. And it's like, first of all, they're still one of the best live bands on the planet to this day. But the other thing that's amazing is, you know, we'll be playing a show at a small local club, all local bands, and they'll be there watching the bands play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they still come up in bands and, you know, they really live it. And that's why I think bands like that will exist forever because, you know, it's genuine and they, you know, they actually care about it, yeah. you know, no matter how big they get, no matter what they're doing, you know, when you're out there and you're a small local band playing and you're seeing guys from bands like that moshing for you, it's, you know, yeah, you know, there's, there's something when you see that, you know, we, we had an experience, we played a little fest and uh, Kevin seconds did his acoustic set and I'm not going to lie. It was a surreal experience when I'm playing and I'm like looking there and watching Kevin seconds, just watch us play and so enthusiastic and then like later come over and talk to me, you know, and give us all these great compliments. It's like in my head, I'm like, fuck, this is like Kevin seconds. Like, yeah. I remember what a big deal that was for me seeing them when I was in high school and getting the first, you know, the first couple of times I got to see seven seconds and how important a band like that was. But, you know, the people that are genuine and still show up, like he doesn't have to sit there and watch a local band playing a fest he's playing, but you know, to not just watch, but be out there. And I'm like, again, it shows you why these bands have stuck around and why people will remember and care about these bands, you know? Yeah. No, I got a similar, similar story with Steve Soto who watched our band play when we opened up for CJ Ramon and the similar thing is like, that is a, a legend, you know what I mean? That, that doesn't, yeah, he doesn't need to be in a loud room with a bunch of people. And, uh, you know, he was a, he was a good man and he was always a good man. Cause I knew him in other, uh, other capacities too, but yeah, you know, and that's real. And that's, that's something that you like ethically as a punk rocker, that's what people listen and remember for who you are from, and they'll always remember who you are. And when you're talking about Kevin seconds, he's not the same person he was 30 years ago. You know what I mean? He's got mortgages and he's got other things too, but there's still that kernel of something that that's still that person that is what made that person great and still is great. Maybe even better. Like who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's like an amazing thing. I mean, there's just, it's those experiences. And I think it's one of the reasons why 
I mean, it's one of the reasons I love punk rock, and I think it's why a lot of people do is, you know, you make these connections, and there is, you know, to some degree, a level playing field. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it, you know, we've been really lucky in this band to have these experiences of playing with, you know, just like these bands that when I was a kid, if somebody had told me that my band would have played with Bad Religion and Agnostic Front and, you know, Agent Orange and on and on. And it's it's just amazing that the people in those bands are so appreciative and nice and supportive, like way more than some of the smaller mid-level even some of the local bands you play with and the chip that they have on their shoulder, you know, and I don't now get my grand Torino, get off my lawn moment. But I, I think that is the one downside to the constant like output of music now is there's a little bit less of the people who like work for it and appreciate it. Like uh, the band we just did our weekend of shows with, it's like we were there and we watched every band, every show because that's what we always did. And we're a band on tour. Mm -hmm. And it's funny when you see some of the bands now that don't do that, but you know, we play with agnostic front and they're right there like watching, or when we played with Slapshot and the drummer from Slapshot stage diving while we're playing, (laughs) you know, you have these moments of like, they don't need to do that, you know, and you don't expect it. And then it's just such a funny thing of the difference in generations, I think, and the difference in mentality. Yeah. Yeah, you know, when you talk about Bad Religion, that's a band that's aged well, too. Because I knew Bad Religion in the early 90s, and they're not the Bad Religion that you're going to see play next week. Like, even though you still got the the core members there, it's a different band. You know, back then there was way, way more intensity going on with Bad Religion in the early 90s. Way, almost too much, you know. But, except for Jay, who was just always really cool. But you would meet you meet those guys you're like whoa and either you're starstruck and they would sort of feed on it but now like you know i saw them play rock fest like in five years ago and i you know watching brooks whack wackerman play bad religion songs and i i think i said something like it's really cool watching you jam bad religion because he's like he's playing around like he's making that band so fresh again he's not even in it he's he's out now right yeah he, yeah he's not with him anymore because yeah, it was like but what an amazing drummer he was like every time he popped up in a band he just made him sound so killer yeah and just watching him play like getting through like similar to watching like josh freeze play drums when you watch that's josh, exactly what i was about to say yeah you watch him play and you're like wow you just reinvented the band that's been a band for 30 years you know and like I saw, I saw josh freeze play every day on a canadian festival tour with perfect circle and watching him dr- put drum, it was like he would set challenges ahead, you know, and at the first beat to see if he could make the first beat into the next bar. And he would just play these fills. You're like, how how did you get there? Like, how did that work out? And same with Brooks Wackerman. He would be like, just so on with the band. And the band would be doing their thing. And it's, yeah, just a joy to watch, right? Because it makes old songs fresh again to me. Yeah, to me, I had that experience with Josh Freeze. I got to see him when he was playing with Nine Inch Nails. In fact, I think it might have been the first show he played with Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. They did a warm-up show at a real small venue in Santa Cruz, you know, bigger than a club, but for them, really small. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, listening to that guy and knowing how good he is, but playing with a band like Nine Inch Nails and what he brought to it, it's, I mean, it's incredible. If you, I know I think he's posted some of his drum cam videos from it, and it's I mean, it's almost like he's playing a video game. Like he's, <laughs> even with Nine Inch Nails, he's so far ahead of what is happening. It was yeah. I mean, it was incredible to watch. Yeah. And then you just think like, I remember when he was playing in the Vandals. Yeah. 
There's a funny you know? story with him where he's listening to the radio and that complicated song came up. And he goes, I remember, I remember hearing that story. And he goes, holy fuck, I play drums on this. <laughs> so funny. I, the funny thing is, I think actually he was on uh, Loveline. Yeah. And they had to tell him that he played drums on it. He didn't even remember doing it That's because hilarious. he would just studio drum for people. Yeah. And so they're all making fun of the song. And somebody's like, do you play drums on that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's that has to be a, a pretty hilarious moment, right? Yeah. Oh, shit. But he also said, he said, because uh, I when he was with Perfect Circle, he was playing uh, in the studio with Guns N' Roses. And uh, wow. he told me the story because Chinese democracy started, they started recording that like in the sort of the late to mid, mid to late nineties. But he was telling stories about like, yeah, I just go into the studio and hang out. And I got, he said, I got paid 200 bucks a day just to be in the studio. And he said, I would record maybe once a week, but he'd be there five days a week waiting for Axel to show up. And sometimes he did, most times he didn't. And they had the studio that just on hire, on call for when Axel showed up to do recording. And he, he'd say that was a great, great gig, like, because I hardly played drums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the easiest job you ever had, right? It's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was looking to see if I could hire Brooks Wackerman to play on something, but woo, it's a little steep, a little steep. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine he does not come cheap these days. Not at all. Not at all. Well, hey, man, I, uh, I'm going to let you go because it's uh, getting late here in Canada. And I can see it's getting dark there in Santa Cruz. So uh, Yeah, the, sun, the sun's finally starting to set. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's like almost midnight here. So uh, it's 1130, almost midnight, 1130. But I really appreciate doing the show, man. I'm going to play some songs when, when I put all this together. It'll be out in about a week from now. So I will keep you posted through Melanie. And thanks to Melanie for hooking us up. And it was nice to meet you. I really think, I think we've met before. If you did Catalyst and you've, if you booked shows in Santa Cruz, I bet you we probably ran into each other at one point or another. I would think so. I think that's the great small world of this town, and having all the mutual friends, it seems like mm-hmm. it's probably inevitably having. Yeah, I mean, just thank you so much for having us on. You know, it's you know we're still a small band from you know the West Coast, and you know we really appreciate you taking the time to help us get the word out, and yeah. you know to some people that might not check us out, and you know I just tell anybody who's interested, yeah. hit us up. Like I love talking to people. We love, you know, I always say like we do this band because we like really still love punk rock we still love hardcore we you know i I always tell people i'm a lifer yeah i'll be doing this forever if i'm not in a band i'll be going to shows and helping book and doing whatever i can so amazing well appreciate that yeah absolutely appreciate it thank you so much and that was kevin from give you nothing go get their new album give you nothing just came out in early may and it's a great record, and you should get it because it is it is reminiscences of like punk rock from the '90s, and that's that's a good thing. It's a very good thing. So, anyways, all right, all right, here we go. Thanks everybody for shopping on Amazon. Help uh, helping the show out is a good thing. Help support this juggernaut of a podcast. Keeps it rolling forward. Thank you so much for that. You can support the show by going to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash US Amazon. Shop on Amazon, support the show. All right. So anyways, I got a few things coming up and a few episodes coming up. I got a little mini tour coming up with a band called Lois Low, where I'm doing some sound and some tour managing. Um, Fairmount's record is almost done. 
And that's that's a check-in from me. So anyways, I love doing the show. I love talking, obviously, and I love having you guys listen to the show. Thank you so much. Don't forget, uh, if you want to get in contact, appalock.ca slash contact. Um, if you got anything to say, constructive criticism and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it's always welcome. Otherwise, go fuck yourself. Have a good week. We'll see you later. Bye.